Hello and welcome to Next Gen Minds, the informal but informative weekly Sunday podcast made for students by students. I'm your host, Maddie Clark, and together we'll start a much needed conversation with students, experts and other special guests about mental health. We'll bust some myths, find out what are the best ways to manage our well-being and if all things fail, we'll simply manifest our way to sanity. Next Gen Minds is part of an important initiative to draw attention to the mental health crisis unfolding amongst the future generation and to eradicate the stigma and taboo of talking about mental health. If you feel that any areas or topics discussed affect you or you're simply feeling lost or overwhelmed, head to the Next Gen University's website for resources on how to cope, including the 30-day Mental Reset Challenge. This challenge includes short three-minute videos to help equip you with a toolkit of useful coping mechanisms and ways to strengthen your well-being. So, without further ado, let's start talking and make a change. In this week's episode, I'm joined by James Hymers, an anxiety therapist in Windsor and West London, who specializes in a new therapy technique, havening. I'll be talking to James about anxiety, what it is, strategies to manage it, and how his therapy works. Now, before we start, I just want to reiterate this week's episode will be focusing on anxiety. Um, And it's important to know that if you do suffer from anxiety, you are not alone. Over a third of women aged 18 to 24 suffer from anxiety and 22% of men aged 24 to 35 in the UK also suffer from anxiety. If any of the topics or issues we discussed today trigger you or become too uncomfortable, please do take a break from the podcast and be sure to speak to someone. There's also a lot of helplines available, such as Anxiety UK and other websites, such as the British Association for Counselling and Psychotherapy, that can help you receive professional therapy and counselling. So, James, firstly, thank you so much for joining me today. You're very welcome. I'm really excited to talk to you about just anxiety and, and like you, we were discussing before, what tools you can put in your pocket to help manage anxiety. Now, I understand that you specialize in treating um, or helping people with their anxiety. And so I just want to start today's podcast by asking you, what actually is anxiety um, and what are the common signs of anxiety? Wow, there's a big expansive question for you. Feeling afraid, worrying, scared, and then right at the top um, of anxiety, we have um, anxiety and panic attacks. You know, a certain amount of anxiety in our lives is to be expected. You know, it's one of the human responses, emotions, call it what you will. You know, we can be excited, we can be afraid, we can be happy, we can be scared, all these things. And um, so a certain amount is normal. Imagine, so talking about people at uni, for example, you might have anxiety about getting your work done on time. And most people um, would say, leave it and leave it and leave it. And then they get close to the end and they're like, oh my God, I've got to get it done. And they're like, oh, panic. And then they you know, smash it out and get it done. So a anxiety and stress and worry can be helpful, but not if there's too much going on, you know? So a little is fine, but when there's too much, it can actually, um, it can be so detrimental to people's lives. It can really suck all the fun out of being alive. If you're experiencing anxiety on a daily basis, let's imagine that part of the brain that controls anxiety, a survival system. It's a bit like a muscle. So the more we use it, the stronger it can get. So if you're constantly being worried, upset, stressed out, anxious, feeling afraid, then it gets stronger and stronger. And before you know it, those emotions get stronger and stronger. They can literally be every day. So that's really what anxiety is. It's, it's feeling worried about the future or worried about how things are going to turn out, feeling stressed, anxious or afraid. It, it's sort of the opposite of calm, as it were. And, and you talked about anxiety, that there's a certain level of anxiety or, or stress is good for you. I mean, we're born with that kind of fight or flight instinct. Um, and a little bit of stress, like you said, is, is, is good. And it can sometimes people thrive off that level of stress. But when, when does that level of stress uh, or anxiety go from healthy to then something that... With, yeah, same again. I mean, everybody is different. There are, there are plenty of people. I mean, I've, I've helped so many people. and 
every individual person is different, aren't they? You, you're different to me, and you'd be different to, you know, your mum and dad, siblings, what have you. We're all different. I think it's up for the individual to realise, you know, where, what's healthy for them and what's not. Some people do incredibly stressful jobs and they don't get a lot of sleep and what have you, and they can thrive off that. Yet for some others, it would possibly crush them, you know. So what we don't, I think it's up for the individual to think, I don't feel very good. This isn't good for me. And I'd, I'd certainly agree that you should get help if you're feeling like that sooner rather than later. You know, it, there, there is so much stuff out there now. And I'm so happy that people are talking about this sort of thing. You know, you doing this podcast and what have you, even the Royals, it's wonderful. It's mainstream. Now, there still is some stigma attached to it, but let's face it. You know, I, I, it, it will change. I mean, when it will be, um, you know, how many people do you know who would scream to the rooftop? Yeah, I've got a personal trainer to get fit. But you don't see so many going, wow, yeah, I've got a therapist to sort my brain out. And yet, you know, having a brain is part of your body and you need it. So let's get it running well. And the better that part of you is running, the happier you'll be. And let's face it, you know, in this life, in this life it's not who dies with the most toys wins. It's have you had a happy, fulfilled life? A hundred percent. It's okay. It, it should, we should normalize reaching out and getting help because just like our physical health, our mental health is so super important and anxiety and stress plays a huge part in that. And it's so common um, to feel anxious. I, I mean, I was talking to my friends at uni um, and especially after lockdown, the anxiety levels seem to be rising and actually realizing it's okay to get help is so important. So uh, yes, I completely agree. Um, and talking about how to reach out and get help, um, what would you advise people who maybe are feeling a bit more anxious or who are thinking, oh, I don't know whether this is a good type of stress and I can deal with this kind of stress. How, what would you advise them to do to reach out to someone? Um, what's the first step? Do you think it's talking to family, friends, or do you think it's going straight to find maybe anxiety uh, therapists like yourself? Um, what would you recommend people do? Talking is always good. And, you know, if you have a good network of family and friends, by all means, because not everybody feels that they're ready to get help. They might see it as, as something really big and massive. And yet you wouldn't think twice about going to a doctor if you had, say, a broken arm or leg. You'd go to the hospital and you'd go straight away, wouldn't you? You'd call an ambulance and you'd be off. And it's the same sort of thing for whether that is anxiety or depression or what have you, or something affecting you from your past, trauma. It all shapes us. And I'd just say get help as soon as you can. Yes, you could go to the doctor if you want, and that he or she would offer different types of um, things to help you. There's CBT or medication. Now, I'm not a fan of either of these, okay? Now, I'm not saying they don't work for some people, and by all means, if that's your choice to choose them, then good for you, and that's great. All I want to get out there is that there are therapies available now that are just so much better. They're just so much faster. Things that used to take, you know, years or, you know, months and years to fix now can sometimes often be done in literally like a couple of sessions. It's some of the therapies now are just so fast, just so much better. But certainly if you want to have a look at getting a therapist, then why not have a look at their testimonials? Why not have a look at their reviews? Why not have a look at the results they can perform and by all means, give them a call. Any therapist is going to give you a bit of their time to talk about what can be achieved and really find out what's happening for you and what your problem is and how they can help you. And you mentioned the different kind of therapies and um, like CBT. Some listeners might not know what CBT stands for. I think it's, an, it's cognitive behavioral therapy, is that? And I know that you, you specialize in this new kind of therapy um, that's called havening um so i was wondering if you could just maybe explain to the listeners who might not know really the difference what is cognitive behavioral therapy like why it's used for anxiety and how is havening different and why you personally would recommend havening over cbt i think you'd be better off talking to someone who does practice using cbt but but as for um havening let me tell you about it. it's part of a larger group of therapy called psychosensory therapies you think what does that mean 
Okay, psycho, think the brain. Sensory, think our senses. So that's sight, smell, taste, touch, and what have you. And it's touch they use. So there were some therapies earlier on that used touch, um, some tapping therapies. Some of your listeners might have seen those. So the original tapping therapy is one called TFT or thought field therapy. Blimey, there's a tongue twister for you. And that was created by a doctor called Dr. Roger Callahan, who's sadly no longer alive. And that's an amazing therapy. And that's one of the first um, psychosensory therapies. And Havening was built on top of that. It's almost standing on the shoulder of giants, how it were. So the way that Havening came about was Paul McKenna has um, some very interesting friends. And one of them to Ronald Rudin and Paul McKenna was having dinner with him and he said, Dr. Ron, how does that therapy TFT work? And Dr. Ron says, I don't know, I'll have a look. And Dr. Ron's have a look was put people in and out of brain scanning machines for 13 years and find out how it worked. And then he improved upon TFT to create the Havening techniques. And what it does is it has the ability to delete the emotional content of memories. Now, I'll just let you chew that around your mind for a while. Just think about that. What that actually means is anything that has ever upset you can be removed. Now, when you do that, you remove all its after effects. So think about it like this. If for argument's sake, I said that there were two parts of the brain. Now, there's a lot more. But if I argued that there were two parts running the show, now, the bit of the front, prefrontal cortex one and two, let's just call that new brain. And in new brain, it's got all the thoughts that you can hear in your own mind. And that might say, oh, I'm going to walk down the shops. And you say, actually, no, I'm going to change my mind. I'm going to drive. And then that part of the brain doesn't really give us a problem with anxiety and trauma. So if we imagine the other part of the brain, the bit at the back, the bit for survival, like you said, fight or flight. It's actually a bit more to it. It's fight, flight, freeze or submit, and some other stuff going on as well. It's certainly bodily symptoms. If we imagine that part of the brain as being a bit like a hedgehog. Now, you know how a hedgehog works. It's got spines. So when it's calm, it's looking around, having a sniff, seeing for anything to be afraid of. And if it doesn't, it just carries about its business. Now, once it does, it fires the spines off. Now that's in order to protect itself. Now that's a bit like how that part of the brain works. That it fires off thoughts, feelings, emotions, sensations to keep us safe. Imagine the brain, rather than having a few thousand spines, imagine it has billions. And on each individual one is something that's happened before. And on it is the code of how to happen, when, how to behave rather, when that happens again. So same again, say it was the hot thing, you think stay away from it, what have you. But the first time you burn yourself on it, say as a kid, you might not remember, but you remember to stay away from it. You remember that hot equals pain. You remember to warn other people about it. And supposing I burnt myself, say on a, a steam iron, my brain is smart enough to generalize and realize, well, if the steam iron hurt, then so would the fire guard, and so would, say, a motorcycle exhaust pipe, or the, the cooker, or what have you. And so something that's never hurt me before, I'm now afraid of. That's the same way anxiety and trauma works. That within that part of the brain, it gets recorded on these bits, spines, if you like. I'm, I'm dumbing it down a bit. but And then, so whenever your brain sees something like that again, those spines fire up and throw off the same response from the original event, okay? So it could be really, really powerful. So that's why quite often, even when something could be mildly upsetting, really it's something you should get a two out of three response. You could get that response to like a 10. And you're like, wow, why do I feel like this? Well, what Havening has the ability to do is to send a chemical into the brain that can break the glue on the spines and they fall off and get recycled by the brain. So literally, all the old patterns telling you how to think, act, and feel are wiped out. And we can put in its place how you'd like to feel instead. So I often put in with clients, what if I felt calm and relaxed? What if I felt relaxed and safe? What if I felt calm and confident? And Afterwards, and literally, usually most people, I'd say 95% of the people I see are just two sessions of therapy. I'll ask the client then to get upset 
about the original event and they just can't do it. Wow. In just two, in just two sessions. Most, most, don't get me wrong. Most things can be done very quickly, but occasionally you will meet um, a brain that doesn't want to let go of it that far. Sometimes you'll meet a brain that will, for its own safety, will only let a little bit go at a time. Imagine like layers around an onion. So it will let a bit go and a bit go. And rarely you'll meet that. And then also you can meet the brain that is resistant. Now that doesn't mean it's impossible to do it. There's always a way. But some cases can be um, a little more complex. But on the whole, on the whole, you know, some of these modern therapies can just be so fast. Wow. So, so, so events that normally would maybe trigger someone's anxiety because of that reaction, that like intense feeling of, of stress and fear, those tend to be rooted in this kind of habitual response from past events. If you think about it like this, if you imagine all these anxiety responses, now they're all, in my opinion, I'm going to say this because I'll get someone who'll disagree. But in my opinion, they're all based in trauma. And it's not just my opinion. There's quite a few very good therapists who would agree with this. So if we imagine a trauma tree, so if you imagine the root cause, acorn, call it what you will, of being a trauma, and then up come all these roots. And it could be gambling, any sort of addiction, OCD, anxiety, panic attacks, behaviours, you name it, whatever, all these stuff going on rooted in trauma so when we collapse the original trauma we collapse the rest of it a bit like a line of dominoes once you snatch the first few away imagine you were trying to get them all to fall over you can't get it to start now when we think about all this our view of the world is really shaped in our young and adolescent life so the years sort of one to seven seven to fourteen and even a bit after that we certainly learn what is normal in our world. But supposing something happens to you in that time, supposing like, I don't know, a 10 year old kid was riding um, home on his bicycle and got bullied by a load of other kids and his mobile phone stolen and his bicycle stolen. Well, don't you think that would shape their view of the world as to what is and is not safe? Because the brain loves to generalize and it sort of joins the dots but it's sometimes anxiety and trauma is a bit like throwing a glove onto a, a white carpet. It gets treaded out in all directions. And there isn't always logic to it, okay? It's this thing we call complex content, which means part of an original situation. Let me give you a, um, uh, an explanation of that, complex content. So let's imagine that you and I were sitting, say, in a coffee shop. And then uh, some maniac came in there with a shotgun, okay? And they were wearing a T-shirt that says, Jesus loved you, and they had flip-flops on, okay? And they said, give us your money, give us your phones, everyone on the floor. You honestly don't know how you'd react, okay? Everyone says, well, I'd do this, I'd do that. You do not know until you're in that situation. Okay, so we give everything over and the person goes away. And then it takes us a couple of months to really calm down. And then... A couple of months later, we go back to the same coffee shop and we're quite calm. Maybe we're facing away from the window and then someone comes in wearing flip-flops and our unconscious mind hears flip-flop, flip-flop and that's part of it. So the scary thing wasn't the flip-flops, it was the gun, but it's part of the memory and it's enough to fire off that response because in a way it's linked, isn't it? And that's what happens to a lot of obscure stuff. Some of the phobias I've done have been really strange. But when you dig out the memory, there's always a connection to the original thing. Um, an example of that would be I did a, a phobia a while ago for someone about buttons. And you think, how can you get afraid about buttons? But if you had a childhood memory when you were maybe three or four years old playing with a button on your cardigan, and it was a windy day, and the window was wide open, and then the wind really blew, and the window slammed shut and went bang! while you was holding a button. Can you see the two get linked? And this is it. And this is where loads of our fears and anxieties can come from. They're not logical, a lot of them. Obviously, some of them are, but they get stuck. And they're on those spines within the brain. It's actually a synapse within the brain, part where um, chemicals and electricity mix. Really, really clever stuff. But it's stuck in there. And with modern therapies, we can remove it. 
you said a couple of times, and I might have completely misunderstood what you were saying, but that our response is, because it's part of our unconsciousness, it sometimes skips that rationality, that kind of thought process of how to react to certain situations because it becomes habitual. So is that why sometimes in moments of intense anxiety, including panic attacks, it's so difficult to calm down because it's not part of a rational response? Actually, because of that, it's not because of the rationale, it's because of the survival part of the brain is so much stronger than the other part. It has to be to keep us safe. So you can't talk it down. You say can't um, say to it, calm down. You can't say relax. It's got to take over to keep you safe. So it sees a threat and it says, don't worry, I'm going to jump in here and do my job. So supposing it was that person who was um, phobic about parties. As soon as they get the invite through the post saying, would you like to come to Johnny's party tomorrow? They instantly feel afraid, even though they're not even there. Because the brain is saying, oh my God, there's a threat, threat detection. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to fire off this response so you can't go. Now, it doesn't think to itself, oh, that's not really doing what I want. What it actually thinks is, well done me. I've done a great job. I've saved your life. You didn't go. Nothing's happened again. So although it's not the response we want, it's so powerful, it will take over to keep us safe. And that's the really frustrating thing about it. It can be an inner civil war. So once you have gone to the root of the tree, once you've removed the the initial trauma or event that caused these kind of habitual responses, do clients not need to even use any coping mechanisms or manage or like have, small havening techniques because that anxiety is completely gone? Exactly. So what I do when I work with clients, I'll be making notes and I'll say to them, how strong is that fear? And they close their eyes and we just use a scale of 0 to 10. And I say, how strong is that? 10's a lot. And they'll be like, wow, that's really 10. So it's really, really frightening. Then we'll collapse it. And maybe half an hour later, what have you, I say, right, dip back into that memory. Tell me what it's like now. And they're like, oh, my God, it's totally different. And not only does it feel different, but quite often the brain will rearrange it in a way so it even looks different. So all of a sudden they're further away from what it looked like, or maybe they're looking in on it, or maybe it's gone to black and white. And in some cases, it's completely gone. Wow. So how does, it, how does that work? Okay, so it's with what they call a haven in touch. So that can be applied by circling your hands. So imagine for a listener now, just the same thing you've always seen, someone warming their hands up, just circling them. And that creates five times more delta wave that goes into the brain, and that's the chemical that breaks the glue off the synapse, the spine as it were, but you need to activate it, so you need to think about it. Now, just a little note here, what I would say is, for anyone wanting to calm themselves down or with some mild issues, certainly you can use self-hating, so that's doing it by yourself. I would argue though, if you have got something that's really strong, really worrying or what have you, definitely go and see a registered Havening techniques practitioner or any of the other therapies if you know there's a few things you can do for self-help but if it's something you know really quite strong go and see an expert after all you wouldn't let rip on your own brain with a scalpel would you, you know so it's um by all means um other ways of using it so we can stroke our arms just imagine if you were stroking your arms downwards on the outside your arms from your shoulders to your elbows at a nice easy pace and that creates five to, come on James, 35 times more um, delta wave. And then the last one would be a very soft stroking of the forehead above your eyebrows, just round to the side, levels about the side of the eyes I like to do. And that creates 90 times more delta wave. That one's really powerful, but watch out for that one. It's so much delta wave, you can literally put yourself to sleep. Honestly, mums have been doing this for years. There's so much stuff that's instinctive. And same again, it just calms you down. But in the moment, if there's something really upsetting you, you could just do the circle in your hands and it will calm you down. But there are some other great therapies out there too. So I don't just want to mention Havening. There's another really good one called BWRT, which stands for Brain Working Recursive Therapy. This was created by another genius, a man called Terence Watts. And this works in the even earlier part of the brain. So this works in the part of the brain called the brainstem. Now, 
I do not know of another therapy that works on the brainstem. It's so clever. So it's long before we get to even any conscious thought. So the great thing about BWRT is it can work on patterns that are so stuck that neither part of the other brain, even the survival part of the brain, can't work on this. So we're talking about things like, I mean, it can do pretty much everything. It's a terrific therapy. But one of the things I really like using it for is OCD, which is a real stubborn mofo. Oh, OCD. Can, when I, when I um, hear that saying that says, this too shall pass, I think mm, maybe not for the people with severe OCD, because it can just go on and on and on and on. It can drive you bonkers. But that, that's proven to be you know, really effective, really effective for, for a lot of OCD. There is some that's even more stubborn than that and would need something like um, neurofeedback. And that's a, another therapy where they literally connect your brain up to a computer and with little sensors going on the brain and it can literally rebalance the mind. And that's incredibly effective. And that's worked on all sorts of stuff, even things like autism. So I would argue there's always something that can be done. And then there's even other therapies, or rather chelation. And what that is, is that's taking supplements to pull toxic metals out of the body. Things like um, mercury and lead and cadmium and what have you, because we live on a toxic planet. I'm not going to bang on about that, but certainly what you eat, affects how you think if you're living on breakfast cereal covered in pesticides believe me it's going to affect your thinking and actually that's really interesting the that you touched on how like what you eat affects your you know your mental health um would have you seen links between i know like you you may need specialized in havening but um how much does healthy eating and your lifestyle like maybe exercise impact on anxiety and trauma massive well not so much trauma but massively okay so when we think about uh, a lot of people like to run or cycle or swim and running especially have you ever heard a runner say they get runners high yes <laughs> okay so what that is this is a bit of a mouthful that's called non-specific depotentiation and you think what on earth does that mean well non-specific meaning it's not really about the root cause depotentiation disconnecting you from your troubles so when you go out for a run if you have some problematic thinking first of all maybe there's something spinning around in your mind or you're feeling pretty rough you went for a run and you just get disconnected from it but just slowly over time as you start running then it get that run as high now what's actually taking place is the left right left right movement creates delta waves like in Hayden. and so it disconnects you temporarily from your problems and the great thing about the the modern therapies is they do specific depotentiation meaning that it goes in and pulls the problem out completely so you don't have to do that but certainly healthy eating if you're getting some healthy fats into your diet omega-3s uh, fish oils avocado all, all sorts of other stuff it's really going to help with your thinking and if you're drinking plenty of water, same again, keep your brain hydrated, that's going to be better. Omega-3s also help um, the different regions of the brain communicate. There actually have even been some studies showing that for some schizophrenics, it can even make their schizophrenia stop. That's not for all of them, it's for some. Um, there are all sorts of things you can do that are tough on your mental health smartphones okay so you when you're endlessly scrolling and looking at stuff you keep firing your brain up and it's like firing it up firing it up firing it up now there are many people who would argue it's almost like the same as doing lines of cocaine it's literally firing up one 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 okay so certainly go on your phone for a little bit if you like but you know it, it does it saddens me a bit when I see kids walking down the street staring at the phone on the walk to school or what have you. Um, you don't need to be on it that long. But, you know, just check social media whenever you want, maybe half an hour a day or what have you. But being on it all the time is really not good for you. Same again, um, alcohol, not so great for the brain. And uh, caffeinated drinks, for example, if you're drinking lots of tea, coffee, fizzy drinks even. All of that, it's revving up the brain, revving up the brain. And what we want for the brain is calm. 
you know so there were things that everyone could do everyone could do 10 minutes meditation a day you think well i don't know how to meditate well it's as easy as um sitting down closing your eyes and just focusing on your breathing and that could be feeling what your chest and tummy is doing or even feeling the air moving in and out of your nostrils and some people will meditate just walking along and um bringing their attention to their footsteps or just going for a nice long walk in nature you could argue that you know doing a fairly mundane task that's easy to do that that's meditation also and that could be like I don't know, a little granny sewing a jumper or what have you. It is a meditation when you're doing that. And by doing those sort of things and allowing your brain to become calm and unwind in the long term, it's so good for your mental health. So it, it seems from everything that you're saying, it seems like we need to give our brains time to rest. Disconnect, I think, is a, is a key word that kind of stuck with me there. Like in terms of like technology, um, we're always connected in this very rapid world of like, I don't, I'm, I mean, I'm a lot of my friends are on TikTok and it's constantly scrolling. If you're constantly, I've got BBC news on my phone, the continuous like pinging of what's going on in the world. Your brain's continuously worrying about all these different things um, with, in terms of like when you're at university, you're con- con- continuously worried about work, about balance, getting good grades, about balancing your work and, and your social life. Um, I might be completely missing the mark here, but it seems that the key thing here is that allowing yourself to have that time to disconnect, whether that's from your phone, whether that's from work, whether that's through meditation, finding those moments of dis, like not disconnect, but just calm. Is that right? Think about this. You've absolutely nailed it there. That there's so much going on. So first of all, I would say, do you need all of that? Do you need BBC News? I, I don't even watch the news personally because let's face it, I don't see the news as to inform us. It's a shock. It's all bad news. You know, I don't need it. I honestly don't need it. So, um, and the worrying about exam grades, well, does the worrying help? No. I would argue that it's actually going to, you know, be detrimental. So what if you thought to yourself, what if it's all right? What if it's going to be all right? It will be what it be. It is what it is. What if we did that? A bit like um, a lot of uh, people who, rather than see it as good or bad, see it, it, it is what it is and not label it because, believe me, there's no animal on the planet that does that. It's just us humans. But what you say about the world being so fast, you're absolutely spot on. Um, life in the 21st century is zoom, 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 zoom. It's just so fast. So just think about a couple of hundred years ago, the amount of information they would process in their lifetime is probably about the amount we process maybe in a day or a week now. So by having that downtime, by taking those apps off your phone, just maybe even just turning the phone off and not having it, you know, maybe reading a book instead or, or listening to a piece of music or meditating or doing some exercise for sure, but just really having some downtime really gives your brain a chance to slow down and unwind and process and what have you, rather than you know, running so fast all the time. Let's face it, if you had any sort of engine, whether in a car, motorcycle or what have you, if you had it revved up in the red line all the time, it's not going to last very long, is it? It's going to go bang. So you could see that downtime is just some maintenance for your brain. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And I think it's so easy to go, oh, well, I don't have time to take time to for myself. But it's actually just, like you said, like even if it's just 10 minutes, just to find some time, just downtime, so we can give our brain a rest. But when people say they don't have time, you have to think about that because we all have the same 24 hours a day. It isn't about time, it's about priorities. So if I prioritise my own mental health, which I would argue is a really good idea, then I'm going to set aside 30 minutes a day to maybe, I don't know, do a bit of stretching, do a bit of meditating, go for a walk, get some fresh air, have a healthy breakfast, which isn't really too much to ask. Believe me, you're going to be feeling so much better for that day and you will feel better and better and better. And when, I'm not even mentioning things like suicide, which for, you know, for young people is the, uh, you know, the biggest killer out there. Yeah. Is there a, a link between anxiety and suicide? Because um, I read this statistic that I know I'm conflating quite a few things here 
Um, but I saw the statistics saying that 34% of cases of anxiety are actually correctly di- uh, diagnosed as anxiety. Um, and the other 66% is actually misdiagnosed as depression. Um, I don't know they're all kind of interlinked, but why are they so closely related? Like why does anxiety and depression then also consequently um, suicide? What, what are, what's the link between them? Well, I mean, they're both, they're both mental health issues, but I've never met anyone or I've never helped anyone with depression who wasn't anxious. So think about it like, here's one way of looking at it. If I told you you couldn't do this and then you couldn't do that and you couldn't do this and you couldn't do that, because you felt too afraid or worried or you thought you weren't good enough or what have you, it wouldn't take long for it to affect your mood and make you feel depressed, would it? So it's a person's current level of thinking. But then, you know, even going back to diet, same again, diet can really affect how our mood. Um, When you think about, I'm going a bit off-piste here, but when you think about how we used to farm in this country, around the world even usually they'd have four fields that they they had a farmer and he would be growing in three of them and one of them he wouldn't use and they call that fallow okay now we don't do that anymore we just blitz everything in, in pesticides and because of this the earth doesn't really get a chance to recover and so we get less um minerals going into the food now one of those is magnesium and so literally almost everyone on the planet is magnesium deficient now i use a little magnesium oil spray, which you can get from any health food store for about 10 pounds. It lasts you six months. And you spray it onto the skin because magnesium is absorbed better through the skin than it is through the gut. And honestly, the studies on magnesium and depression and what it can do, magnesium is better than Prozac. It's phenomenal what it can be achieved. But yeah, certainly depression is a tough one, but you can be lifted out of it. And there are many therapies that can do it. But like I say, the the modern stuff is so much faster. What you get sometimes is though that people with depression will almost, not all of them, but some will just not reach out, which is really frustrating. But, you know, you can only help someone who wants to be helped. Now, I'm not for a second saying it's their fault. I'm just saying it's the mood you can be in. It, It can be so so hard that you almost feel like you don't want to be helped or what have you which is very upsetting yeah and a lot a lot of the things we've been talking about this um this podcast is actually the importance of talking to someone um because like you said if you are having overwhelming feelings um that you bottle up and then you feel like that that tunnel gets narrower and narrower and then you can't see the light at the end because it there's it just becomes so claustrophobic and and all these sorts of whirling around and that you don't see a way out whilst that moment you can talk to someone be it your friend or a a therapist um just will open up the tunnel so much more and actually have a release and it's a really really important first step yeah exactly that's exactly right talking is great why not talk to your family or friends because they may bring home some new perspective for you that you really do need help and it is out there. I like the analogy. There's another um, self-help guy called Michael Neal. He's a wonderful guy, written a lot of books. And one of his that I really like is called The Inside Out Revolution. And he describes what I call the current level of thinking, because your level of thinking changes all the time. But imagine it like a skyscraper, that if you're stuck in the basement, you're not really going to see a lot. But if you got to the second floor, life would look a lot better. And if you could get to the 10th, then wow, it's much better. Suppose you got to the top, I don't know, 100th floor, then wow, imagine how much further you can see and how much better it looks. But when you're stuck in the basement, you can't see that. And so you do need to get help. And it's especially, you know, physical health and mental health are intertwined, you know, and I would argue, work on both of them and you will be a lot happier, healthier and get a lot more out of your one life. Mm-hmm. A hundred percent. I I know we don't have much time left, so there's so many other topics I want to explore with you. Um, And one of them is actually a specific area of anxiety, and that is um, panic attack disorder. Um, Quite a few of our listeners have um, asked if we could talk about panic attack, because I think they're quite scary to go through because there's no, in in the moment, you, you don't feel like there's a way out. 
Um, so I was wondering if you could first um, tell the listeners what what are, what is panic attack disorder, um, and secondly, like if you don't have if you don't have the resources to be able to go see a therapist like yourself to actually work on those havening techniques, um, what can they do in the moment? what can people do around them like if you're a friend of someone who suffers from from panic attacks what can someone do to help them in that exact moment of panic okay when you you're absolutely right panic attacks are really strong so like i said before they are the top end of anxiety in fact many people have called an ambulance and gone to hospital thinking they were having a heart attack and it's not until they do, what's the heart scan? Is it an EEG? I forget. Anyway, and they check it out. And they say, no, there's nothing wrong with your heart. You're having a panic attack. Okay, so quite often a panic attack can be a conflict of interest, but it, it's way beyond that. That's where it started. So that was the root, the acorn as it will, and it's grown into this great big oak tree. So yes, in the moment, there are a few things you can do. So I've heard uh, many people say that you can ground yourself by thinking about something you can uh, taste, something you can see, something you can touch. What I'm more of a fan of, there's a couple of things you can do to disrupt the pattern, but if they're really strong, you're gonna need a bit of help. So you can do something like, if you had something in your left hand and then throw it to your right, and then your left and then your right, and then your left and your right. And what that does is it, it makes the brain work across the different hemispheres. But I'd be a big fan of using havening. I would get you to just circle your hands like you're warming your hands up, okay? It's not gonna stop in an instant, but it will calm you down. As for um, uh, what to do about it, same again. I, I would go and see a, a really good therapist. I'll be using havening or BWRT especially. And, and it can be stopped in literally two or three sessions a lot of time and, and it's done. Um, I have got some free resources. I've got a, a YouTube channel, which is my name, James Hymer's Therapy. And I've got on there a few videos that I created for free um, for people to use. Obviously, I get people asking me, can I help them? And sometimes they can't afford it. And I thought, well, that's not really fair. I want to create something for them. So I've created uh, two or three short two-minute videos, which are a bit of a one-size-fits-all. So it won't be specifically for your problem, but there'll be one on there for people who are feeling very anxious. And it, I just want you to do a couple of minutes a day. And what you'll get then is it will build up an effect over time and it will enable your brain to become calmer and calmer. And I've had people telephone me who were suicidal but I had no money and no job and couldn't do anything. And I said, look, I'd love to do it for free, but I can't for everyone. It's just too much work. But please work with this. And then they've got in contact with me, say, three or four weeks later and say, do you know what? I just feel so different. And the beauty of using these techniques is while you're feeling really upset in the moment, as it were, it is deleting the problem. It won't get it all in one go, but it will over time. And it literally changes what we call the landscape of the brain. So if we imagine the landscape of the brain being a bit like the tide of the sea, that goes, you know, can come in and go right up, and then it could go out and go right down. Well, when the landscape of the brain is right down, that's when we feel terrible. Just imagine as you girls take the mickey out of us guys when we've got a cold and we're like, oh, stop the world, I wanna get off. And the landscape of the brain is really low and we feel terrible. And things that wouldn't normally bother us do and we get really upset or we feel really low. Well, what by using a daily practice of some of these other therapies, like havening, for example, it will live for the brain over time, and then you feel calmer and more resilient, and you would have removed a lot of the problem from your mind. So, because of some therapies, they kind of are trying to delve in to like what the causes of it, um, the what why you're feeling like that how to then stop those kind of thoughts that might have then triggered the the attack the kind of the, the self-talk that might be happening um so the havening works in in the sense that it just you don't even need to do any of that because the havening would just actually just cut off those those links that cause those habits well, yeah it's certainly working on the root cause like i say i'd still recommend going to see um a therapist of say Havening BWRT or what have you, if you are having panic attacks, for sure. 
but for in the moment yes you could use that and it will disconnect i'm not a big fan of chasing down the thoughts because what you've got to realize is you you're talking to the wrong part of the brain it, it's the unconscious mind that's storing it it's got all the answers and your conscious mind has not okay so you there are there's um uh there's this thing called the three principles okay that works on questioning thoughts and it works a bit slow it does work and you literally question the thoughts by saying it's just a thought now i haven't found this to work exactly in the moment but i know many people who do use it created by a guy called sydney banks and over time it will change the way you look at thoughts I, I don't think it's the best thing for trauma that's me personally but it can certainly get you questioning your own thinking so it doesn't affect you so much i don't think it's the fastest i don't think it's the best but it certainly is it will work okay um and this is the last question because i know we're running out of time um but i saw this interesting thing like obviously we're still in lockdown and it's had a huge impact on everyone's lives um there's been a threefold increase in the number of people who reported clinically significant levels of anxiety and depression during lockdown and i was wondering as a, a therapist why do you think that has happened what's the relationship between lockdown and anxiety human beings are herd animals and we need connection there's one for you and same again like i said earlier suppose then we took away everything that you loved you know, life doesn't feel quite as shiny and fun anymore. I mean, I'm a mad keen golfer. I'm going to be able to get back to golf next week, but I haven't played for months and months, and and that frustrates me. I I love the gym, and I haven't been able to go to the gym. I haven't been able to go swimming. I haven't been able to see friends, which is massive, or family. You know, so all of a sudden we're not connected. It's not good for us. And then being locked up, you know, no exercise, not doing as much. There's all sorts of reasons but certainly the the connected one is huge i mean i will let my lad play on um computer games like Fortnite, which aren't really the best for mental health but a little bit's good but at least then he is connected to some of his friends and i can hear him laughing and what have you rather than he's not been able to see any of those so getting out and about is so good for you same again walking same again creates left right so more delta waves going into the brain calming you down but being cooped up it's not good for us, you know? Mm -hmm. I, I definitely resonate with that. I think also it's almost like what I felt going back to university for the first time after lockdown is that I almost was out of practice in terms of like connecting with people and socializing and meeting new people for the first time. And it, I felt, I was talking to a lot of my friends and they were like, yes, I actually felt anxious that I've never felt anxious about meeting new people before but because of lockdown because you haven't been able to socialize that new new environment new people away from home for the first time and then having been out almost out of practice I say in inverted commas um I think did trigger a, a little bit of anxiety anxiety yeah, well, the brain likes things that it does a lot because it sees them uncomfortable. You know the old adage, use it or lose it? But supposing you were, I don't know, um, presenting all the time to audiences and then maybe you had a year off and then you were asked to go and present to an audience, you might think, can I still do this? And that's what's going on within your mind. Something you do all the time. You're like, oh, it's easy. Or imagine the first day of school or, or university for yourself. Oh, it, it might be... Um, small fish in a big pond and you're like oh my god but then once you've been there six weeks you're like that's ah, normal and it's the same thing within our mind that it desensitizes stuff by doing it all the time but when we haven't done it for a while it almost resensitizes it if that makes sense and so what would you say to um to the people that who are maybe out of uh, coming out of lockdown especially now that we hopefully fingers crossed if the um boris johnson's plan uh it goes ahead um we'll be coming out of lockdown we'll be going back to normal i don't know what that's going to look like but we'll be going back to normal what would you advise the people who might be feeling anxious about going back to normality because it's been so long since norm normality's happened I'd definitely say 
be as healthy as you can, you know, eat well, go and reconnect with friends and families and your loved ones. They'd love to see you. Go and see them and do some easy stuff and you could gently work your way back in. You don't have to jump straight in the deep end, do you? You can just gently go back in as, as we all go, as we all are, you know, go and do something you want to do. What have you been thinking about during lockdown that you're thinking, oh, I really miss that and I'd love to do that. I don't care if it's going to have a burger, whatever you want to do. It might be going to have a pizza with friends. It might be going and kick a ball about down the park. It might be whatever you want. But go out there, reconnect and get your life back because you can. I love that because you can and take it slow, one step at a time. Yeah, why not? You don't have to dive back in. I mean, if you're feeling great and you want to go and do whatever it is, I don't know, you want to go and rock climb up Ben Nevis or whatever, go for it. But if it's just you want to go and catch a few friends for pizza, then do that. Okay, just go and get your life back an inch at a time if you have to. But just realise that nobody is broken. Okay, we just need to feel a bit better. And by doing some stuff for our mind and our body, we can feel so much better. Well, thank you so much, James, for joining me today. Um, it's been an absolute honour and I have learned so, so much. And I'm sure all the listeners have as well. I'll be putting your information onto our bio so people know how to reach you. And as I said, like I said at the beginning of this podcast, um, there is so much help out there for anyone who is struggling with anxiety. Um, I will put all the, any, all the websites and helplines um, that you can go to that, um, on in the bio so you have all the resources available um, for you but again thank you so much James and thank you everyone for listening to this today's podcast I hope you've enjoyed it and remember let's start talking and make a change after this podcast was recorded James sat down with me and asked me if I was afraid of anything and I opened up to him about my fear of failure he then took me through 10 to 15 minutes of the havening technique he first made me imagine the worst possible scenario of completely failing everything and everyone seeing me as a disappointment. And then that subsequently generated a high level anxiety within me. After 10 to 15 minutes, he then asked me to imagine the same scenario. And I actually didn't feel anywhere near as anxious. And actually, I thought my anxiety towards the situation was silly. Um, so for anyone who is dealing with anxiety, I would definitely recommend checking out the havening technique and like I said I've put all the details for James's website and Instagram in the bio and I would definitely recommend checking them out thank you so much for listening to next gen minds and if you have any queries or topics you want to be discussed on the podcast please do reach out to our next gen university's website or on Instagram on next gen wellbeing mm-hmm.